Welcome to Rulers of the World, the podcast where we find inspiration from strong, creative, and brilliant women across the globe. Your host, Nardo Salamayo, talks to scientists, economists, activists, and more about how they are impacting their communities and why women rule the world. All right, so we are here with Ishani Dasgupta today, a gene therapy scientist. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, um, so I came across your work and it's really fascinating. I'm definitely not a scientist, but um, <laughs> I'm definitely uh, excited to get into all of the projects that you're working on. But um, sure, sure. yeah, but before we do all of that, I just want you to give us a brief background of where you're from and uh, where you grew up and just how you got interested in science. Okay, so hi everyone. So firstly, thank you Nardos for, you know, like giving me this opportunity to be part of this platform and share my experience with everyone. So uh, I currently uh, work as a gene therapy scientist in UMass Medical School. And before this, I did my PhD uh, in molecular and cell biology from Singapore, where I studied how uh, the osmotic pressure affects cell division. And before that, I uh, did my education in India, where I did a bachelor's in microbiology and master's in biotechnology, and also worked as a junior research fellow in the Indian Institute of Science. So how uh, I got interested in uh, science was right from my childhood. I had this uh, uh, interest in biology, which is the science of life. So as a kid, I remember my parents always used to uh, asked me not to eat junk food uh, like from the streets uh, because they were yeah because they would say that there are bad germs that will affect my body and they, uh, they're going to destroy the good ones and so since both of them were working uh, and like when they were away at work so uh, I would often sneak out and eat the street side food <laughs> and fall sick and uh, yeah invariably fall sick so I wondered like how to get rid of these bad germs and then eat without any restrictions so, so as, uh, as i grew up then i started like studying and i i mean the more i gained insight into biology i learned that okay these bad germs are the disease causing microbes and the good guys are the microbial flora or a repertoire of cells that constitute our immune system so that's how I got interested. And the more that's I, yeah. amazing. And the more I delved into it, I wanted to understand how these tiny organisms without a so-called brain can outsmart the most intelligent species. <laughs> like the human. That's yeah, uh, very true. Yeah. yeah. And how that's so funny. That's a great. Yeah. How they can challenge our highly coordinated immune system. So this actually picked my interest, and then I wanted to pursue research and delve deeper into uh, understanding. Uh, that is so amazing. And uh, our immune system. <laughs> I love that. That is so funny. I feel like that's a lesson for parents that you know, <laughs> you teach your kids right and wrong for, at a young age, and look, they might end up becoming a scientist one day. <laughs> Just from eating right. That's so funny. I love that. Uh, and that's so interesting because um, I know um, in India there is a lot of um, 
a lot of herbs and spices are similar to Ethiopia, like turmeric and other things yeah, that yeah. Um, that people use for for health purposes. So yeah. that's interesting. And you know, since you bring up uh, turmeric, uh, I just have to share the story. So when I was working uh, as a junior research fellow in India, so so the common belief was that. Uh, turmeric is antibacterial right like there are like tons of studies which have shown so what we found was uh, so curcumin which is known as the uh, bio which is the bioactive compound of turmeric actually we found that to uh, be pro-bacterial instead of antibacterial so it actually helps some of the gut bacteria like salmonella and uh, i mean some of the yeah like salmonella and shigella which cause uh uh dysentery and uh, typhoid which actually really? helped yeah it helped those bacteria to proliferate and that study yeah we published uh, that and like found the mechanism like what was going on because this was really really strange and yeah wow so all of these years i thought that it was helping my body but it might have actually been <laughs> it, harming me it uh, actually it helps uh, it definitely helps but uh, certain bacteria uh, it actually helps those bacteria to grow so yeah oh okay so if you get the bacteria and then you eat the turmeric then it can actually have oh wow yeah that is so interesting well i will definitely keep that in mind (laughs) (laughs) because i know ethiopians love that stuff too man wow that's so funny so um you are a gene therapy scientist um for those of us who are not familiar with the scientists give us a little bit of an explanation of what exactly that is and how you ended up in that specific field of science uh, sure, sure. So uh, my current role, uh, uh, yeah, I work as a gene uh, therapy scientist. So what we basically uh, do is to uh, genetically modify immune cells so they can secrete antibodies because uh, so as to establish uh, protective immunity because, you know, vaccines are not available for all diseases. Also, vaccines are not available in all countries. So if you do this, this is a more general way of editing your body's cells so that they can produce antibodies against several diseases. It can be like genetic diseases, other uh, uh, blood-related disorders. So yeah, that's what uh, we currently, and that's what my current role is. What, uh, I mean, how I transitioned is, uh, so before this, I was studying cellular signaling pathways to understand how cells communicate with each other and these pathways actually uh, are implicated in cancer and organ development and tumorigenesis but after that actually i wanted i mean that this has been my long-standing goal uh, to do something which actually benefits mankind and from a more clinical perspective and gene therapy is uh, currently and a very exciting uh, platform where you can actually achieve this by modifying mm. the genes or by correcting the mutations that are uh, present, which le- I mean, which leads to several genetic diseases. So uh, I wanted to do something translational and clinical, which is why I uh, transitioned to this field. Okay. Okay. So, and th- this is the. Um the research project that you're working on now Currently, is about yes okay yes. okay give us a little bit of background about what specifically your your what disease you're looking into and um you know what exactly the project's parameters yes. are uh yeah sure uh, so uh, in this uh, particular project uh, so i actually work on uh, 
couple of projects. So I'll just tell, give you a brief overview. So what we do is uh, we use a gene editing technology called CRISPR, and which is like uh, extremely uh, interesting and exciting now. So this CRISPR can actually yes, I was just reading about it the other yeah, day. Yeah, it can uh, insert. Uh, so basically, it can edit the genes by either deleting it or inserting or uh, correcting some mutations. And using this technology, I mean the CRISPR technology, we want to insert the modified gene in certain uh, uh, locations of the genome which are safe. So for example, one disease we are working uh, with is sickle cell anemia, which is caused by a <clears throat> mutation in uh, one of the genes. So we use CRISPR to correct this uh, mutation and then insert the corrected uh, gene into uh, uh, the mouse. I mean, we work with mouse models, so into the mouse models. But first, we have to test it in vitro, like in cells. And then uh, we eventually test it in animals. So, But what we have to ensure is we have to ensure that we insert these modified genes in certain locations of the genome so that it doesn't adversely affect our cellular uh, functioning or homeostasis right so a lot of mm. uh, it a lot of work goes into identifying the locations of the genome and also like how you want to deliver this gene so it's a collaborative effort so like uh, yeah so that's what uh, my project so you have a is. so you have a team working on yes, this together we have, yeah yes okay so, great so do you all have different roles or do you just kind of collaborate as you go through the project so this actually this work is in collaboration with the bill and melinda gates foundation and so there are different parts of the project. So one is uh like i said editing using gene uh, in, in crispr so and the other is like we uh, i mean also using crispr but uh, uh trying to edit immune cells to produce antibodies so there are different people working on mm. different projects and uh like uh to i for example there is a bioinformatics uh, team one of the, one of our collaborators is in Alaska, and a couple of people are there in oh, wow. mass. Yeah, so it's like across the um, country. Where and uh, so they work on uh, identifying these uh, uh, safe locations in the genome, and then we, uh, as a cell biology team, like we work on uh, the biology aspect of, uh, of it, like editing and then optimizing. Then there is another uh, like core resources from UMass, which are uh, like the vector core who helps us uh, with the viruses because we delivered this uh, tool using uh, viruses, uh, which are obviously safe. So yeah, so, mm. uh, so there is a whole lot of uh, people working on this, like different aspects of the same uh, project. That's so interesting. And I'm sure you guys can share information and everything too. That's yes, really, really yes. interesting. Because I feel like totally research, I mean, it has to be a collaborative effort because if you have more minds working on one particular project, you'll have a dynamic flow of constructive ideas, right? Which is why, sure. yeah, which is why I, I strongly believe that uh, it is very important that, you know, we have a collaborative environment at work. Yes, I, I definitely can see that. And it's interesting because, you know, those of us who are outside of science, I think that we see the lab-based sciences as, like, very 
isolated and we don't really see them as collaborative just from the outside looking in. So it's interesting that you're able to, you know, work with people from across the country, all, you know, working towards the same goal. That's really amazing. So yes. you said that you're working with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation on yes. this project. Yes. What are some of the resources either through the foundation or outside of the foundation that mm-hmm. are kind of helping you and the team get through this project? So uh, for SK, yeah, I have to mention this, that they have been very, very generous with our funding, which is, oh, extremely, I'm sure, yeah. which is extremely important to carry out a research a project of this scale. Uh, so, uh, uh, I mean, it has to be funding firstly and also other right. resources. Like, for, for example, like I said, like this, uh, this project, actually, there are different dif- uh, steps of optimization and you get stuck at uh, and you can get stuck at like uh, I mean different uh, uh, steps of this uh, project. So what they ensure is like we have uh, monthly call meetings with uh, the Gates Foundation people, and if let's say we are stuck, they are extremely analytical and they put. So there are a lot of people working on similar projects uh, across the country. So they actually put in touch, uh, put us in touch with uh, people who are working on similar projects or who have. Uh, faced uh, difficulties so that you know we can do some resource sharing we can uh, exchange ideas so all that also helps a lot in terms of resources like yeah it helps us troubleshoot or or people who have published their work in this field they can actually give us some ideas on how to move forward or especially if we are stuck at something so yeah it's it's useful yeah that's incredible That's incredible. And I'm sure a foundation as huge as the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has a very large database of projects that they can, you know, connect you with. That's amazing. Wow. That's very cool. Um, So you said that you kind of can collaborate with others um, on when you face kind of hurdles in your research Mm -hmm. and and moving forward. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you and your team have faced as you've taken this research on? So actually, also research is like all about challenges. So, uh, <laughs> so what uh, initially? So we uh, like, for example, uh, I mean, if I talk in terms of this project alone, so uh, one would obviously be like identifying the genome. Uh, I mean, the locations where uh, inserting the gene will be safe. Uh, so uh, and then after that, maybe like okay. So first, we have to do all the testing in animals. So we basically, what we do is we take uh, stem cells and edit them and put it in animals and see their reconstitution uh, in the mice. So basically, we're trying to generate humanized mice, like taking human cells and uh, putting them into uh, mice, which do not have an immune system. So whatever cells grow in that mice will be like human reconstituted cells. So we initially oh, wow. had a lot of uh, troubles picking the right mice for this, picking, uh, I mean, because a lot of factors like the age of the mice, then uh, if, uh, if let's say you are uh, putting cells which you are editing, you don't know if that editing is doing something to the cells, to the mice. So a lot of these challenges have come across and we are, uh, we have overcome some, we are still in the process of uh, troubleshooting a few more. So yeah, these sure. are the yeah, kind of challenges. Which... Sure, sure. So how do you um, expand on, you know, this kind of technology when you come across problems like that? How do you kind of push past it, you know, outside of mm-hmm. collaboration? Are there other technologies that you can incorporate? Are there other 
you know, kind of side projects that come out of this? You know, how do you, you know, get to that next step in the uh, research? So one thing which uh, we do is like we read a lot of papers, like because people who have worked on this earlier or similar projects, we, we refer uh, there. I mean, we yeah go back and uh, scout through the literature, which is why like reading is so important uh, uh, for uh, you know, driving a research project. So uh, sure. you read other people's work and uh, contact other scientists. And like, I mean, I mean, uh, if you see, uh, I mean, if you come across any paper which has worked on a similar technique, you basically go read that paper and try to use those uh, techniques they have done in your system. Obviously, I mean, no two studies can be identical because otherwise there's no point publishing it. But uh, sure. it can be similar. Like, I mean, maybe they don't work with the same strain of mice but maybe they do something similar in other strain of mice so i can go back refer to their work and read uh, more and try to work out with and try to work out a strategy where i can use their uh, technique in my experiment and then i mean it's it really uh, it's basically trial and error i mean i don't have any other answer to this like we try this sure. and then we see okay sometimes it works which is very gratifying and sometimes it doesn't. So we again go back and try something else. Right, right. Now, I remember you saying something about, um, you know, going from editing the genes and then inserting them to trying, attempting to edit them while inside a yes. person still. Is that, how does that work? Uh, yeah, so, uh, so that's actually, that's something which uh, uh, I, I wrote a, a grant uh, on it and uh, we, we are planning to start it. Uh, so basically whatever, uh, techniques are there t uh, till now are uh, to edit these cells outside of a patient's body and then correct it and then insert it into the patient. But what we want to do is uh, try to do something in vivo where we can directly uh, edit within, uh, where we can directly edit uh, inside uh, a patient's body. So that, wow. yeah. But a lot of, I mean, it really has a lot, I mean, it's just in the nascent stages and I uh, cannot give you too much details at this point of time. But No, but yeah. it's fascinating. Sure. Yeah, it is. It's it a is, very yeah. cool idea. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. Well, with all of this, you know, there's so much talk right now in the mm -hmm. United States about, you know, kind of this war on science and so much going on with COVID-19 yeah. and, you know, how much society is relying on scientific research. And, exactly. you know, it's it's a little bit of a scary time because, you know, it's a very new virus and we're mm -hmm. learning new things all the time. So mm -hmm. much of the research is ongoing. So I'm curious, you know, you're not necessarily studying COVID, but I'm sure that the resources and, you know, the culture shift and so many of these things are, you know, impactful to the broader mm -hmm. field of scientific research. So how has COVID impacted you and your team specifically, either, you know, financially, emotionally, you know, just with the project or with the foundation or anything that um, that's had an impact on you guys? Mm -hmm. uh uh, so actually, uh, I'll just uh, tell you uh, something. So we might start working on COVID. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's all hands on deck, man. <laughs> yeah. So we're still in the, I mean, until next week, uh, until uh, the last week, we didn't have any plans. But like just recently, we just uh, have this idea in mind, which, uh, I mean, the, the kind of work we do with the gene editing stuff, we thought we might extend it uh, 
to COVID, but yeah, I mean. Oh, so you might find an application for the current research. Oh, wow, that's very interesting. (laughs) Yeah, but like coming to your question, so definitely COVID has uh, really uh, affected scientific research so in terms of my project like we can say like so we were shut down uh, for almost uh, three months like we couldn't run any uh, new experiments so how uh, I, I mean obviously this was a major setback since uh, we have milestones to reach uh, in uh, respect to this Gates Foundation project so there has been a disruption of project timelines yes but how we uh, utilize this time was to write uh, grants or to like read up on literature analyze data but as such uh, new experiments we were not able to do so that has actually disrupted our project timelines and also i think mm. uh, but in terms of uh, grant funding uh, right now uh, um, specifically to my project uh, i that has not been affected because the foundation has been extremely supportive because uh, I mean, they know what uh, the researchers across the world have gone through. But uh, I think there was a survey by the International Society for Stem Cell Research, and there they said like about 60% people felt that it will really affect our current as well as future grant funding as well as publications. So yeah, mm. it. I mean, maybe it, so in terms of I mean, with respect to my particular project, I would say that yeah, our timelines have been disrupted. But uh, on a whole, like on a holistic uh, uh, aspect, I would say definitely uh, there will be a financial crunch in terms of uh, funding. And also another thing which I want to point out is like there were several clinical trials going on for other diseases and those have uh, been majorly affected and they have taken a backseat due to COVID-19. Yes. mm, mm. Yeah, uh, I've been reading about a lot of the concerns with... um, cancer research and other things, exactly. you know, exactly. taking a backseat to, to COVID. It, it's it's interesting, though, because, you know, I was talking to somebody else about this, about, mm-hmm. you know, the number of people who die per year um, from cancer versus, you know, how many have died so far from mm-hmm. COVID in the United States. And, you know, it, it's so scary with COVID because it's, you know, cancer can be very slow moving and mm. COVID is like so contagious you know and so it just seems so fast you know and it just seems like it's it's there's so many diseases and illnesses that are very real and very Mm -hmm. dangerous but it seems like with COVID it's like this this very scary thing yeah and also I think people who have pre-existing conditions are like at a higher risk of contracting the virus which makes it even like more scary Sure. But the, sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, having said that, like uh, the positive side would be like this due to this uh, pandemic, I mean, the scientific community globally has come together and in an incredibly short period of time, they came up with the genome sequence of the virus. And also, there are like so many vaccines which are in development. I think almost yes. 197 vaccines were in wow. development. But yeah, but but yeah, here's the thing. But I think 18 are in clinical testing. So they, that's the thing. Like okay. even if you have uh, the vaccine, I mean, it has to undergo several stages like uh, of uh, trials. So first, I mean, after the preclinical phases, there has to be multiple phases of clinical trial and regulatory review. And only sure. then we can say that okay these vaccines are safe and effective and ready to be disseminated among public so it takes time so i'm really yeah, concerned about uh, you know the, the 
huge uh, influx of scientific papers which have been published on covid and then after a few months you see some of them are retracted or some of them are not i mean the claims uh, are not true which kind of is really really scary yeah, I just I, I was going to ask about that because I'm sure as scientists, especially in the research side of things, mm-hmm. you know, so so much is trial and error, like you said, but, you know, it, it takes so much time. And when I think about these vaccines, you know, there was one, I think it's uh, the Moder- Moderna, Moderna vaccine. Yeah. Yes, that was, you know, it seemed to be very successful in the very few people that were tested. But I just thought, you know, how do we know how the vaccine is going to impact someone who has diabetes versus someone who, you know, does that, you know, concern you as scientists to say, you know, will we really be sure that this vaccine is safe for everyone if it does even, you know, get to that point of being on the market? Just with some of, it just seems that the, you know, FDA and others have been trying to cut, you know, some of the regulations down to get things through faster, which I understand, you know, the concern and the the emergency that we're in right now as a, a, a global community. But it also makes me nervous to think, you know, am I really safe to take this vaccine exactly. when it goes on the market? Yeah, true, true. Uh, that's what like it, it, it takes like some f- uh, four phases of clinical trial and each phase it requires at least two to four years, but we do not have that much of time. So every what what is happening is all the phase, uh, these uh, uh, different phases of the clinical trial are getting, uh, how this, uh, I mean, are uh, getting constricted so as to expedite the process. But mm. uh, that really uh, makes me concerned about the safety and the efficacy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can. I can definitely understand that. I think we're all kind of holding our breath to see what comes next yeah yeah but you know you had mentioned um before that and I saw a couple of um Mm -hmm. uh publications and things that you've written for Mm -hmm. um and the importance of reading and writing in the field of scientific research now I know you have an interest in writing you know outside of research more for the the lay person to be able to to have access to the information so i'm curious you know what sparked your interest in writing and how you got in into that oh so i think uh i mean in today's world i feel it is equally important to be able to communicate your science and i think your science is not complete unless you communicate it. So, uh, mm. and what I felt like as uh, being, uh, being a scientist over all these years, like I've, I've been to, I mean, I've attended like several uh, international conferences and I've gone there and presented my work, but there it's just, uh, it's mainly, uh, you know, you're conversing with scientists and academics, but uh, it's, but uh, I feel uh, it's, important to bridge this gap between the science world and the non-science world which is what uh, actually uh, motivated me to write about uh, science in a lucid way so that a general people can understand and be aware of what is going on in the field which is why i chose several like these uh, online uh, uh, science communication platforms where you can write i can write about uh, the latest uh, developments in science in a clear and a, a, and a non-technical way so that people can understand and yeah appreciate yeah, that's so because that important. actually helps in lifting the visibility or I mean it, not uh, yeah I mean like it helps in uh, 
increasing the visibility of the science community which i feel is very important like i'm just working in the lab 24/7 just okay maybe uh, finding some interesting results then publishing it but how many how many people will actually read my uh, publication obviously scientists will but my point is if my work has to impact uh, uh, people at large then people should actually know about this work and appreciate sure. it and they can only do sure. it if it's not so i mean if the jargons i mean if they're not so technical and in and written in a manner which is easy to understand for everyone which is why yeah. i yeah Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's so important. And I think we're seeing that now in the United States with COVID and some of the argument about, you know, how much to believe the scientists and some of the arguments that, um, you know, my fellow lay people have Mm -hmm. laid out has been really, really jarring. You know, I think that and also not just understanding the actual science behind it, but I think it's important to understand the process. You know, some of the you know, somebody was saying the other day that they didn't understand the mask thing because, um, you know, there hasn't been enough scientific research on it and that Mm -hmm. it's just been in terms of probability and statistics. But I thought, Mm -hmm. you know, but but the probability and statistics is still based on scientific Scientific research. research, Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the idea that, you know, we we have to have 100% proof in order for science to be helpful at all, Mm -hmm. you know, is a little bit, um, I guess, short sighted and not necessarily may and it probably just comes from, like you said, not necessarily understanding and having the visibility um, into what the process usually looks like and yes. all of the trial and error that goes into it. So that's really great. I love that. And I think and I appreciate changing, that. You know, because like now there are so many science communication platforms. There are so many like uh, uh, platforms for science art where, you know, they try to uh, try to uh, explain a difficult uh, or probably a diffi- uh, yeah, difficult neuroscience concept using illustrations. I mean, it doesn't have to be neuroscience uh, only. I'm just giving an example. But yeah, sure. so these, these uh, visual uh, representations also help a lot for uh, people uh, to, you know, understand the science behind it. Yeah, so it is yeah, really changing the, the uh, field of science communication. It's evolving in leaps and bounds, I would say. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. I think we need it now more than ever, <laughs> for sure. That's beautiful. So I know that you said that you're from India, um, yes. and that's where you grew up. Um, yes. And I I read um, a statistic, you know, recently that uh, I think it was since 2007 that the the um, increase in higher education for women in India was I think 1500 or something percent. Yes. It was some huge number. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, as a woman from that region, mm-hmm. you know, how do you see your own career path and how you've been able to make it this far in the opportunities that you've had access to and how do you see you know the future of you know education for women in stem um in india oh so if uh, yeah like if i have to talk about uh, my journey so i actually have been really fortunate enough to uh, be born in a state which is very liberal in India and like uh, in an urban setting when they do emphasize education a lot. So uh, uh, I have, I mean, yeah, like I personally have uh, not have to face challenges uh, as such to uh, uh, pursue a career in research. 
and uh, but that's great yeah but having said that i think there are still i mean there is still a lot of work which has to be done i mean although it's great that uh, uh, i mean the like you said the education uh, rate has gone uh, up but still in certain uh, rural areas uh, girls are uh, denied the right to education i mean it's not mm. too long ago the incident with malala happened right nobody should be shot right. because uh, you want to uh, because you want to learn right, right. and uh, so incidents like that do uh, happen uh, which is kind of a setback but i'm really glad because i mean i personally know of many NGO some of them are run by my friends who actually uh, t- uh, have been very instrumental in promoting uh, uh, girls from the rural areas or on the ground uh, giving them a right to basic education because i think That's we are beautiful. more than uh, our gender and our social uh, status so if everybody has an equal right i mean everybody should have an equal right to education and if they have it you never know they can achieve some milestone in the future yeah so yes yes and they can also inspire their own daughters and you know other yeah. young women to to yes. join that too that's really cool that you know so many people who've been able to yes. give back to that cause though yes, yes. yeah that's really beautiful yeah i think as women we need to support each other exactly more. i think as humans we need to support each other for sure but you know i think women because we have so many more challenges, challenges in our exactly. path you know yeah that's a really incredible thing and we i yeah. feel are a blessed generation probably because we didn't uh have to pro- uh, i mean i i'm not generalizing obviously a lot of people do uh, face obstacles sure. but of course uh, like since you asked about my personal journey like i have uh uh been i mean i uh, my family was uh, is a very liberal family and they have really uh supported me in all uh, my decisions and encouraged me to only move forward even when That's i wanted amazing. to pursue uh, my higher studies in a country i mean in uh, a foreign land so that way they have been uh, very supportive but i mean that was not the case uh, uh, in the previous generation like for example my mother like she wanted to pursue medicine but she was not allowed to because she was a girl and they didn't want to send her mm. to a boarding school because she had to stay uh, in a boarding school to pursue her uh, uh, medicine study so yeah mm. i can't even imagine something like that uh, happening yeah. to me So, yeah. yeah, no, I completely understand that. Yeah, my my family is Ethiopian, and um, you know, my mom, mm-hmm. you know, when I when she tells me about some of the dreams that she had to give up, and you know how much my parents have encouraged me to pursue everything that I want, it's it's really a gift, you know. And yes. I, I think a lot of people in the Western world don't necessarily understand mm-hmm. how much of a gift that really is to be able to have a family exactly. that is very supportive like that. Yeah, yeah. But I think coming from the regions that our families come from, mm-hmm. we know that our lives could have been, you know, completely different if we had just been born in a different family. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's just it's really amazing. Yeah. Wow. That's that's really cool. So, outside of your family or, you know, even within your family, are there, you know, any people specifically or, you know, women or otherwise who have helped, you know, shape your career? Yes, yes, definitely there is. It's a long list. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh So actually uh, uh now that we talk about uh, uh like women uh, who have sh- helped me shape my career my phd supervisor she was uh, I mean she's a uh lady and yeah like i've been actually mentored by a lot of uh, women professors <laughs> come to think of it and uh, 
she is an extremely uh, successful and inspiring lady dr kochengi and even before that uh, when i was uh, doing uh, my research in in back in india i was also mentored by uh, two uh, female uh, scientists dr sandhya uh, marathe and dr dipshika so they were also very successful and stalwarts in their respective field so uh, yeah i have been inspired by many <laughs> women and i mean but if i have to like talk about a uh, woman who's been instrumental in shaping uh, my career i think the foremost has to be my mom <laughs> oh that's <laughs> beautiful she yeah she herself like uh, uh, she wanted i mean she is a scholar in physics like she wanted to do sco- like solid state physics and be a researcher but like uh, because of wow. her family constraints she had to give up that and do something else but i have really learned a lot uh, one thing is being resilient and uh, also to stick to your field and do what you love uh, because if you do that i think you're going to automatically channelize all your efforts into that particular goal so yeah sure yeah yeah when you do what you love i think yes you do end up putting more effort into it because you're gaining so much joy sure, from exactly. it. And yes. Yes, it doesn't feel like, like work, work all the time. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I love that. That's really beautiful. And yeah, that's such a gift that, you know, she had to give up so much but that she's able to give you the platform that you need to achieve everything that you you want to achieve. I'm sure she's really excited to see all of your research now. Yes, I'm sure she yes. really loves le- learning about everything you're doing. That's very cool. Yeah, she she tries to I mean read I mean, uh, she, I mean, she sometimes like over the convers over our conversations, uh, she tells me like, okay, this is a little bit technical. I don't get all of it, but she, uh, well, I mean, she's very excited to read about you know my publications. Actually, and even my dad, for that matter, he read my thesis uh, more than I think even I read it. <laughs> he just loves to read about like my research work, and he's going to just go and Google the terms which he cannot understand. So I'm like, okay, dad, even I'm not so enthusiastic. <laughs> I love that. That's but, so but cool. But it's really gratifying, you know, like to see such uh I mean such a strong support system. You feel like striving uh for better. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's like you're giving getting validation, you know, yeah, these, exactly. the people who matter most to you are so proud and excited about what you're doing, for sure. <laughs> I understand the feeling. So now that you've come so far in your career, you know, I'm curious if you could talk to the younger version of yourself in the beginning of this journey. What is some of the advice that you would give? Okay. So that's a very interesting question actually. Uh, I would yeah, if I could go back and change, yeah, I would actually go back and change a lot of things first it would be <laughs> wouldn't we all? <laughs> Uh, I think firstly I think I would really uh want to uh, go back and I I wish I would be a little more adventurous when I was going up especially in school and all because I had this very conventional approach uh, uh of you know studying and I, it was like mostly focused on I I don't have any qualms in accepting it it was yeah it was very focused on grades I and mean, nobody told me to but I had this Okay if I study well I'm going to get good grades I'm going to uh, secure a rank but I wish it was not only about that uh and I enjoyed uh, I mean I, that's what like now I feel that if I could enjoy it more and focus on why I'm learning it and how I can apply mm. it it would have been better instead of just 
you know like reading from the textbooks and putting pressure on yourself sure yeah. sure so i would love to change that and i actually here i was invited to be a judge of the massachusetts science fair for middle school and high school students and you won't believe like some of the science projects i saw were so interesting and i was like my god these kids are so smart uh, i am learning from them how uh, from them how am i supposed to touch them That's and so great what great was okay they are uh, learning uh, whatever uh, from their uh, course curriculum all that i'm not uh, going into but how they are using that and applying it and coming up with uh, like you know innovative projects was really really interesting to see and i I thoroughly enjoyed it and I'm like okay I want to come back for this again and I was just saying that That's I wish beautiful. I was like this and I yeah, I wish I could apply what I learned in school but yeah that is something wow. that's very cool. I love that. But yeah, that's cool that you get an opportunity to to give that advice to other young people through those kinds of competitions and things. That's very cool. That's very cool. So, is there any, you know, other piece of knowledge that you would like to share for other young women, you know, girls who are interested in getting in the STEM fields? It seems like it's a growing field for yes. women right now. So, you know, is there any piece of knowledge or advice that you'd like to share with them? Oh, uh, firstly, I don't. I for I don't think I have yet achieved a position where you know I can uh, uh, sort of uh, give advice to people. But yeah, well, I hey, mean, you've achieved a lot more than I have in the in your field. So, <laughs> but I think one, uh, I, I would say, like, okay, this is really a cool time to be in STEM because it's expanding and there's like been an exhilarating growth in the field. So I would say. Uh, like just believe uh, i mean it may sound cliche but actually i have followed this like just believe in yourself and enjoy what you do and do mm. not pay attention to perceptions and judgments of others who try to bog you down and also uh, from my personal experience uh, i would really emphasize on the fact that you should always be open to learning new skills like mm. till the yeah I, i mean i still did i'll just learn on the go because that, that i think you sh- really should be very receptive it's if somebody mm. is telling you uh, something and do not get de, de- uh, moralized or take it negatively instead like you should take it uh, positively and learn from it and then go forward yeah because uh, yeah and always like okay since i'm a scientist maybe i'll uh, say this but i think you should always keep an analytical mind like even if you yes. make some mistakes you just learn from mistakes try to troubleshoot try to work out okay uh, some other plan towards it and i mean yeah like just uh, go forward that way that's great Yeah, I love that. I love that. Gosh. Well, thank you so much. I think you've um, definitely inspired a lot of young women today. And I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. So good luck with your research. And I hope that we can reconnect with you soon and hear the progress that you're making. Sure. Thanks for listening. Follow us on social media and drop a review on our channel. Check back weekly for new episodes. We'll see you then.